Before we start the show, I want to thank, thank, thank everyone over the last few weeks who has given to their local NPR station through this show. Uh, if you have not done so yet, there's still time to do just that. Let me tell you how. Right now, for this entire month, every podcast host here at NPR is asking listeners to donate to their local public radio stations through a specialized link specific to each show. That way, every station you give to knows that we sent you there. This is good for the station. It is good for us. It is good for public radio. It is so easy. The link is so easy as well. It is donate.npr.org slash Sam. Once you do that, I want you to tweet at me. Y'all know I tweet. Uh, tell me why you gave and use the hashtag why public radio. I will try my best and endeavor purposefully to tweet you back an animal gif or a Beyonce gif or a Beyonce animal gif with the haiku and the cherry on top. But here's the thing. You can't spell gif. <laughs> you can't spell give without gif. You can't spell gif without gif. It's kind of the same word. You get what I'm saying. Support, support, support. Donate.npr.org slash Sam. Thank you. Hey, y'all. From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Wherever and however you're listening, I hope your week is going okay so far. Today on the show, we got a good chat for you. We're going to talk about the Internet with a guy who became famous by being funny on the Internet. His name is Matt Belisai. You might know Matt. He made a name for himself doing these brilliant comedy videos for BuzzFeed. Uh, he would basically complain about stuff while under the influence of wine. And he recorded all. The video series was called Wine About It. Get it? And the premise was very simple. Matt would open a bottle of wine at his desk in BuzzFeed headquarters and just start complaining about stuff. He complained about mornings. My bed is like a warm, toasty oven, and I'm the delicate, flaky pastry inside. You wouldn't take a delicate, flaky pastry out of his warm, toasty oven while he's in there being all warm and delicious and flaky. No. That's actually a lie, because you take it out and you eat it, but <laughs> I digress. He complained about his coworkers. Then there's that one coworker who's just always chatting it up on the phone, right at their desk, right in front of everybody. Carol, you're never gonna believe who I saw ordering the unlimited appetizers down at the Thank God It's Fridays. This is a place of business, <laughs> not the ball pit out of Chuck E. Cheese. There are rules here. <laughs> He complained about text messages. Also, people would turn every message into like 16 different messages. Or it's like, hey, send. Matt, send. I think I found. Send. Some nachos. Send. Oh, wait. Send. A bird pooped on them. Send. I think I got most of it off. Send. Do you still want to split them? Send. <laughs> Y'all, this is gold. He complained about roommates and Halloween and people on airplanes. And watching these videos, which are so, so good, watching Matt lose all of his inhibitions and say this stuff that you and I really can't say on video, it's cathartic. Uh, so Matt has made his own career as a writer and a comedic performer, and he's moved on from BuzzFeed doing even bigger things now. But I want to stress to you all, even if you don't know Matt, or his videos, even if you don't like wine. There's a ton of good stuff in this conversation about the tone and the nature of the internet itself at this moment in time. How it makes us all sarcastic and ironic and kind of crazy. And Matt shares this really funny coming out story that I found refreshingly normal. Uh, 
As I said, Matt has now left BuzzFeed. He's on his own, making it big. He has a new book out. It's called Everything is Awful. And we talked when Matt was actually in the middle of a tour. He's doing comedy shows across the country in connection with the book. It's a collection of very funny essays and observations and personal stories and just Matt growing up as a gay nerd. It's hilarious. All right, it's time. Let's get into it. Here's me talking to Matt Bellasai. I think you'll enjoy it. He was in New York. I was here in D.C. I began our chat with a special gift I had delivered just for him. Enjoy. Hey, can you hear me? I can hear you, yeah. Hi, I'm Sam. Nice to meet you over a microphone. Yeah, nice to meet you, too. So Thanks of, for having me. Of course. A friend of mine in New York, uh, I've arranged with him a special gift for you so for our interview. get started, Sam asked me to... Uh, I'm, I'm, yes, I f- it's perfectly timed. <laughs> we have a selection for you. There is a Pinot Noir from Okay, Oregon we got Pinot Noir. I've had that before. <laughs> and a Merlot from California called... Uh, Boggle. I'll go with the twist off since that is probably easier. <laughs> now, tell folks that can't see you what you're doing right now. Um, we are cracking open a wine right here in the studio. Yes. Thank you. I asked there to be a red solo cup with it. I don't know if it's that kind of cup or not. <laughs> we can imagine a red solo cup. Let's it's do a, that. It's a, I like a nice paper cup. Oh, paper uh, cup. You Old know, school. Because then you have to drink it fast or else <laughs> it'll it'll go right through. Are so you pouring pour up? A, can you hear it? Oh, that is pristine tape. Thank you, sir. <laughs> you are a radio professional. Oh, I know it. Yeah. <laughs> I also wanted to make sure that I could play a song for you when this started. Oh, yeah. Because We're in going the book, way back. you talk about this in the book, right? I do. Britney was my first. <laughs> first what? <laughs> <laughs> she was my first album that I remember going to the store and having to wait for it. And uh, yeah. A sure sign that I would become a, a homosexual at one point. <laughs> that it was deep within me and I just deep had to let him you. loose. Who drove you to the Best Buy or whatever when you bought it? It was my dad and my brother. It was a family trip. Uh, <laughs> and that nobody nobody had any suspicions back then that I was, <laughs> I was like, we have to make this trip for Britney Spears and her alone. I love it. And look at you now. Yeah. Look at you now. Look at me now. Yeah, a full-grown gay. And look at Brittany. She made it, too. <laughs> She's doing all right. Yes. She's doing her thing. Yes, yes. Matt Bellasai, thanks for talking with me. I'm such a big fan. How would you best describe yourself to people that probably have seen you online but might not be able to put a name on you? Yeah, well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, yeah, I, I am a, a drunk, grumpy guy on the internet. That is, <laughs> I don't really know how else to say it. That's the I'm, best way to say it. Yeah, I get drunk and, and complain about stuff. Yeah, and you kind of rose to fame when you were working for BuzzFeed. You had this series of videos where you would just get drunk on camera and talk about stuff. Yeah, it's it was that simple. But I don't know, it touched a nerve, I guess. Everybody, <laughs> it had that factor where everybody sort of wishes you could get drunk at work. And, uh, and you know, everybody loves complaining. So it was just the right combo. Oh, and yeah. people really liked it. Yeah. And this, like, made you an internet celebrity. And then eventually you left BuzzFeed to write a book. 
and and to do other stuff, right? Like, what are you doing now besides the book? Um, I'm. I feel like I'm doing a bunch of stuff and also nothing. I don't know. I wake <laughs> up in the morning. I'm like, what am I doing? I have no idea. Uh, I wrote a book. Yeah. Uh, technically, right now, I'm on tour for the book, mm-hmm. doing live shows. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, it's a stand-up comedy show. So, I wrote material for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still make videos uh, that are in in the spirit of wine about it, but in my apartment. So it's a little more depressing now. I'm just getting drunk by myself in the middle of the day. You are every man. <laughs> you are every man. And I host a podcast called Unhappy Hour. So I'm do I just do everything. You're busy. You're very busy. Yeah. You know, you are gosh, perhaps the internet's pessimist in chief. Could we say yes. that? I'll accept that. Yeah, sure. You're, that's your new title. Like, there is a there is an entire art and science. I feel like of pessimism and sarcasm and irony on the internet that you've mastered. How do you think internet culture has changed complaining in our society? Because it has, right? Yeah, it's definitely. Uh, I don't know if the well. Let me think. I the one thing that I think it has changed perhaps for the worse, Hmm. uh, is that complaining, uh, there is this culture of sort of self-deprecation and especially surrounding like mental illness, where sometimes, especially on like Tumblr, and that's where I I kind of started dabbling in the internet, Mm. Tumblr like five years ago, where sometimes it's like, I don't know if you should be joking about this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of teens who are like, yeah, your depression is, you should totally indulge it. And like, mm, you know, stay weird. in bed for like a month. Yeah, no, it's not <laughs> good. Sometimes it's like, yeah, I, I, it is comforting to go into a community and, and you know, be able to kind of commiserate with everybody else who who feels similarly. But it's not so great when when you're sort of, when everybody is encouraging maybe harmful behaviors in other people. Um, so I think you always have to check your uh, complaining and uh, pessimism with, you know, a good healthy dose of Cat optimism. videos. Cat videos <laughs> right. and dog gifts. It needs to be a mix. You yes. can't just go full pessimist all the time. How do you uh, find happiness on the internet? Um, I have to check myself a lot. I think I I've now have the attention span of like a very small squirrel, and <laughs> I I can't watch any one thing without having at least two other screens open at yeah. the same time. Yeah, and I mean I've actually caught myself like have something on the TV and looking through my iPad, and then I like stop looking at my iPad to look at my phone, and oh, it's Lord. like <laughs> just the it's the trifecta. That's crazy. Uh, and so I think I try to, you know, when I'm watching a TV show or something, try as best as I can to just watch it, just enjoy it, and not be like scrolling through Twitter or Instagram at the same time. Yeah. Um, Instagram is one of the one place I find the most refuge. It's, you know, you go to Twitter to be depressed and yeah. you go to Instagram, I mean, to feel bad about yourself because your life isn't <laughs> like everybody else's, but... <laughs> And everyone has, moment. like, so many abs, all the freaking abs <laughs> yeah. on Instagram. And I inflict it on myself. I I only follow, like, gorgeous men on Instagram. <laughs> and I fully embrace that it is a terrible thing to do and that they are mostly um Trash, idiots. garbage people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but 
there is almost a part of me that is like, you're not even a real person. You're just like, you're you're something else. And I I can accept that there is a, a line between me and you and you are something else and I'm I'm a human being and <laughs> I'm I'm fine with looking at you. I just, you know, you don't exist in the same world as I do. <laughs> the worst is that like search tab on Instagram where it like suggests stuff for you. It's like, right, and it's just insulting. Or, yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's an just insult. Instagram. It's Instagram being like, "Here's your trash life. Here's what <laughs> trashy things you're into." Yeah, oh yeah. Mine now is just like shirtless men, um, calligraphy videos, <laughs> and like cupcakes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like here you go. I get a bunch of drag queens because I'm a Me sucker for now. a good drag queen video. Yeah, I can't turn away. I cannot turn away. And anyway. that I would gladly accept. Yes. Instagram, that is uh, a great place for drag queens. Totally. Let's talk about the book. It is called Everything is Awful. And you craft this persona in the book of this awkward, nerdy gay who is kind of pe- a pessimist on everything. Is that really who you are? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you, you call it a persona. But that, <laughs> that's me. That's you. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, I I always describe the kind of character that I play in my videos. That's a person like a persona. Uh-huh. Uh I'm not that grumpy drunk guy all the time. Okay. I think the the person in the book and why I had so much fun writing the book and why I wanted to is is that is the version of me that is more true. You know, if there's still an elevated aspect of it. But yeah. that is, you know, I am just an awkward gay, chubby, you know, guy who's... I've described my life as, like, if Larry David were living sex in the city. Like, (laughs) it's not, like, none of the sex is happening. It's just the, like, complaining while all of the parties and cosmos are flowing. Love it. That's my life, yeah. And you spend so much time in the book describing how awkward you were kind of your whole life. You once were Jar Jar Binks for Halloween. You <laughs> yes. had a dental expander in your mouth as a child. Yes, uh, you yes. were bad at all the jobs you had as a teenager. You were always injuring yourself. Were you really that awkward? Yeah. Okay. I take a lot of um, relish now in in the fact that I can talk about it with enough distance. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm still creating new awkward memories, but <laughs> I can talk about the old ones. Uh, but it's fun. I just performed in Chicago, where I'm from, and my whole family came. I, I had like 40 people in the audience. They had their own section. Oh, wow. And uh, I, I just remember when I was a kid, you know, they didn't pick on me, but I was always the sort of butt of the joke, you know, just hmm. as the awkward one who, when I ran, my arms wouldn't leave my side. I would sort of flail. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was fun to be able to take that and be the one on stage and be, you know, be able to talk about that stuff and make fun of them mm-hmm. uh, back. Uh so yeah, I definitely I embrace the awkwardness. That yeah. that is the spirit of the book is you know, your awkward moments are your are, are your stories and your moments and yeah. you got to embrace Own them. Own it. At one point you talk about kind of using humor as a weapon, you know, like when you yeah. were funny, you became the hero rather than the victim or the butt of a joke. Right. Yeah. That was a uh, 
there's a Nora Ephron quote that mm-hmm. her mother told her that, you know, when you slip on a banana, you're the victim. But then when you tell the story of when you slipped on the banana, it becomes your story and yeah. you are you are the hero. And I just I love that. I love her. I love pretending that I am her. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I could frame the stories the way that I wanted to frame them and, and embrace the awkwardness of it and show that, you know, yeah, I didn't. I, it's not like I was surviving like war as a child. <laughs> Although <laughs> it feels a, like I, that when you're a child, right? Right. I had an okay. I had a pretty good childhood. Uh, all said and done. But you know, I think you in in those moments of awkwardness, it just feels like, oh my god, this is the end of the world. And I like that. You know, you can come out on the other side of it and and look back on it and not just laugh at it, but you know, kind of fully accept it as a, a part of your life and a part of your story. Of all of the tales of your awkwardness in the book, for me, the one that I was stuck on was uh, the year that you wanted to be, was it Steve Irwin for Halloween? Yeah. This is the crocodile hunter. And your mother thought it was going to be too cold, so she made you wear the crocodile hunter outfit, which is like the cargo shorts and the button-up like khaki shirt. But she made you wear tights, too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I had to run around in Chicago in in the Halloween cold with skin-colored tights (laughs) underneath my Steve Irwin costume. And I fell that night, and I snagged my pantyhose. It was the worst... Were they actually pantyhose? They were basically pantyhose, yeah. I don't remember where she bought them from, but it was so embarrassing. This season on RuPaul's Drag Race, (laughs) Steve Irwin. I was fully tucked that night, and I fell and just snagged my hose. Damn, damn. Yeah. What for you was the hardest awkward story to write in the book? Uh, The one that... Most people have referenced to me is the story of it's a long chapter about how I came out and then oh, in, Kellen. Yeah, Lord in college Kellen. I sort of fell in love with my straight best friend and who we call Kellen. Who I call Kellen. And he uh I at one point literally hid in his closet as like a prank and uh, while his college hookup came. <laughs> Yeah, and then and then he brought a hookup into the room, and I announced myself before anything got too no, far. No, they just saw you, if I recall well, correctly. Th- that's true. Kellen saw your shadow in the silhouette of me. that closet and was like, bruh. <laughs> Get out of my closet. <laughs> you were literally trapped in the closet waiting for the straight man you could never have. Yeah, it was, it was a symbolic moment. Uh, but that, I... It was in college, which for me, I I graduated in 2012. It wasn't that long ago. And I could go back and read all of the text messages, all of the emails, all of the Facebook messages. Like, it's all preserved. That is Mm. the horror of living in the modern age. Some of them were good. I I talk about how it came out to all of my friends in college, and I have that Facebook message that I, I... pasted into the book. So just backstory. You and Kellen were friends all through college and over the course of your y'all's time in college it became increasingly evident that you were obsessed with this man. Uh, he must have known it too. <laughs> and you had to navigate sure. that and by the end of it you basically said, "Hey, 
in your letter that you talked about earlier, you say, I'm gay, but also, by the way, I'm not in love with Kellen. Promise. <laughs> I just think he has Which a nice butt. Which is always a great sign, yeah, you know, yeah. when you have to deny it so obviously. Well, uh, you say in the letter, clearly. he has a nice butt, but I don't like him like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious. Yeah. You know, I, I couldn't separate those feelings from... You know, reality, I guess. Yeah. The reality of, hey, he's straight, not into you. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so we had like a dramatic friend breakup uh, senior year of college. Aww. And um, yeah. Have you talked to Kellen recently? I I have not. I've Many people, after BuzzFeed published the excerpt of that chapter, uh. Uh, and uh, a lot of people <laughs> reached out, uh, some of whom thought that the chapter was about them, and it was not. Oh. <laughs> I don't want to expose any person. I uh, want you to expose all the people. Basically, the story goes that he uh, ends up hooking up with a, a girl who lived in our dorm, and uh, I became exceedingly jealous and tried to find out as much as I could. Uh, and I, multiple girls reached out to say that they were the, the girl. They, they thought they were the girl. <laughs> <laughs> so Kellen was a player. Yeah. So I don't feel that bad. Okay. You know, he okay. wasn't the greatest person there you ever. Go. Yeah. So so by the time you came out in college, you had known yourself for years that you were gay, right? Yeah, it was never a secret okay. to me. Okay. I had always known. But I I talk about how I sort of because I wasn't super comfortable with being outward uh, about just any form of intimacy mm. that I sort of hid beneath a cloak of nerdiness. That like that was the identity that I clung to. And kind of sarcasm too a little bit, I'm guessing. Yeah, for sure. Uh yeah, that I still I still hide under that. That is not going to go away anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the sarcasm security blanket. Yeah, but now I you know identified as a, a nerd first, and so it was like, of course he doesn't have a girlfriend. He's a nerd, mm. you know. And it it wasn't like, yeah, I, I I just leaned into that as much as I could. Gotcha. Now you went to Northwestern, right? I did. Yeah. Was that an easy space to come out in? Totally. I mean, there were plenty of, of gay people that I knew and were friends with. And um, I never felt like I was coming out to like a hostile environment. I, w- I was more afraid of just the the change that I perceived mm. would, would happen in me, I guess, that, that huh. people would – that I would – be this just like flamboyant gay person all of a sudden and that people would see me this way and that that's all that they would talk about and that that would become the kind of defining part of my personality. And I, I say in the book, like, to an extent, that is true. That's that's kind of what happened. I definitely felt like I became gayer. <laughs> but now I'm like, I love it. I, I don't care that that's a defining part of my personality. I embrace that. Yeah. Uh, and like that it was the important lesson to me is that, you know, the thing that I was afraid of came true, but for the better. Yeah. I, I love that part of me. And, you know, but I found it refreshing to hear a coming out story that wasn't particularly noble or tragic. <laughs> or like, it, it was yeah. just an awkward coming out story. And yeah. not every coming out story is like mom clutching her pearls or someone being evicted (laughs) from the house or everything being roses. Sometimes it's just awkward like the people we are. Yeah. 
uh, as as gay people become more and more accepted, uh, that's a weird thing to say, but uh, you know, coming outs become less dramatic. We're losing we're losing the theater of coming out. <laughs> How could you have made it more dramatic, though, is what I'm wondering now. <laughs> I made it pretty dramatic in the, yeah, yeah. In the, yeah. in the long term. All right, time for a quick break here. When we come back, we'll talk about Matt's experience at the People's Choice Awards. And Matt will tell us how he got accidentally snubbed on national TV at that awards show. All right, BRB. Support for this podcast and the following message come from St. Louis Public Radio and PRX, presenting the podcast, We Live Here, real talk about race and class that doesn't feel like homework. You'll hear investigations and stories of ordinary people. You can start by checking out an episode that has two best friends, one who is white and one who is not, getting quizzed about what it means to be an ally. Listen to We Live Here, where you get your podcasts. Support also comes from WordPress.com. Creating your website on WordPress.com helps your customers find you, remember you, and connect with you. At WordPress.com, you'll find hundreds of beautiful designs, the ability to add a custom domain name, and features to make your business more visible online. WordPress will help guide you through the process from start to finish. Get 15% off your new website today at WordPress.com slash minute. You know, there are so many stories in the book that I would, like, love to just talk with you about for hours. We can't do that. But I do want you to tell our listeners, if you can, the amazing epic tale of your experience at the People's Choice Awards. (laughs) Oh, yes. Uh, Another defining awkward moment. It was so beautiful. It was 2016. I was nominated for a People's Choice Award for what I did at BuzzFeed. Thank you. Thank you. Best social media star. Was that what it was? Yeah, it was favorite social media star. It was the first time that they'd had like internet categories like that. And uh, yeah, I was like, no way I'm going to make it to like the final round of nominees. Mm -hmm. Didn't think I would win at all uh, because I was up against like these Vine teenagers who had millions and millions of followers. And one of the teens was trending on Twitter, like vote for him. Which teen was that? Um, Nash Greer, if you're familiar. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the greatest person in the world, so I... <laughs> They're all just Jake Pauls to me. They're all just yeah. a bunch of Jake Pauls. Um, so I just had a bunch of fun with it, uh, and eventually I found out I was one of the final five nominees, and I got to go, and uh, I think actually BuzzFeed ended up flying me out. Um, Good on them. Yeah, yeah. Well... Yeah, we we like that. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What was that well about? <laughs> My thought was, yeah, good on them. I made all those freaking videos, <laughs> and I was nominated for a People's Choice Award. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they fly anyway, to L.A. You get a suit from what Men's Warehouse? I got a suit from Men's Warehouse. Look at you. Uh, I, it was like the night before, and I had <laughs> nothing to wear, so we went to Men's Warehouse and got a suit. <laughs> I love it. It was the drabbest. Oh, like, I'm sure you looked great. I fully admit that I looked like, you know, a regional bank manager. I just was so... <laughs> <laughs> but who doesn't like their regional bank manager? Sure, yeah. It was your, you know, I could get you a small business loan. <laughs> I can do whatever you want. 
so I got to go. I brought with my my producer who uh, helped create Wine About It and made all of the videos with me. And it was just the weirdest. Like, I had never experienced that type of event before. Hmm. It, was like, it happens, like, every week in Hollywood, yeah. I, I realize now. But we pulled up. I got out. It was, like, uh, the red carpet. It was I'd never walked, like, that line where mm-hmm. the photographers take a photo of you. And they're just screaming at you. Nobody knows who you are. I was sandwiched <laughs> between uh, Jack Black and Kate Hudson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so everybody knows them. And these photographers were like, who are you? (laughs) Nobody, like, they have no decorum. It's just like, why should we care about you? Where they're like, your suit. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Turn away. We don't want this. Um, And anyway, make a long story short, I got into the awards show. During the awards, they told me, okay, uh, your award isn't going to be given out on stage, mm-hmm. you know, there's like 60 awards that yeah. they give out, but only 15 of them are actually on stage. Mm-hmm. So they said, we're going to give out this category when we come back from a commercial break. Mm-hmm. And we'll just hand whoever wins the award in the aisle and uh, cut away will last like 15 seconds. Yeah. So during the one commercial break, the producers came up to me and they were like, okay, you're in your seat. Get ready. We're going to come in on you. I was like, oh my God, it's happening. So that means you probably uh, won the award. Right. None of the other nominees were, like, around me. Okay. Um, And, you know, the person who came up and they were, like, carrying the statue. Um, So I was like, it's happening. And the producer went to the camera guy, pointed at me. He made eye contact, nodded his head. Yeah. And then five seconds to go, they come back from commercial break and a seat filler... Someone in the audience walked right in front of the camera, and the camera guy just immediately forgot what I looked like. No. Stopped on the man sitting in front of me, <laughs> and uh, the big screens at the top of the theater just showed this man's face with my name under him. Stop it. <laughs> Matt Bellisai, favorite social media star. <laughs> what did this guy do when he was on camera? And I ended up talking to that guy the next day. He called me and he was like, I had no idea what was happening. You know, they stopped on me and were like, you won. Act surprised. And so he was like giving a thumbs up, you know, (laughs) smiling as wide as he could. Oh, my God. Uh, And you see me in the background and I'm like, what is happening? Why is this happening to me? This was my one moment. This is your moment. It's gone. Oh, my God. And uh, fortunately, the person with the statue still remembered what I looked like. Like, and she gave me the award and was like, sorry. Gotcha. <laughs> and, and then it was all over in like 10 seconds. It lasted oh 10 God. seconds. And and then Jason Derulo came on stage and there was fire and <laughs> I had no idea what to do or where I was or what was happening. What's his little catchphrase? Jason Derulo. <laughs> yeah, it's just his name. I He's like that. a Pokemon. <laughs> so does this weird brush with non-TV fame in that moment mean that you're going to continue to be a guy who just kind of sticks to internet (laughs) (laughs) i've sworn off television forever uh no it's just that cbs cameraman that i can't do business with anymore okay but um besides him (laughs) i hope he is sir no i i would still love to do stuff with tv i'd still um my problem i think is that i can be excited about so many different projects Mm -hmm. uh I think it's a product of being, you know, someone who has sort of rose up on the internet. And this was definitely the culture at BuzzFeed where, you know, you didn't have like one pet project that you were doing Mm. just 
solely. It was just like every day you come up with something new and that's what you were excited about that day. It was more about you were excited about the idea of creating stuff, not necessarily like just, you know, one thing that you were making. I like that. Uh, And so that's not how TV people think. They're like, we want to know the project that you've been like dreaming about since before you were born. Give me a full screenplay, (laughs) a full season. Give me the whole. Yeah. I'm like, tell me what you want and I'll do that. Yeah. It's it's interesting to hear you talk about the ethos and culture of BuzzFeed and this idea of being excited every day about something new. It seems, and like you just said, it's it's entirely different and unique from the TV aesthetic or the old yeah. Hollywood aesthetic. Like some of that, I guess, is just the nature of internet fame these days. You are in this crop of internet celebrities that are kind of internet first. And it must seem in many ways inherently different than the celebrities that we grew up with watching on TV, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I don't quite fit in, I think, with a lot of the other uh, internet creators. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, whoa. Know, you are People's Choice Award <laughs> winning internet celebrity. You know, I accept that. I okay. accept okay. that. Uh, I know I, I'm not, you know, shaking off my roots here. Uh, <laughs> I just, you know, I think a lot of internet personalities are very personality driven and it's a lot about their personal lives. And, you know, that's what like vlogging is really just, hey, here's here's what I was up to this week. Here's what I bought from Sephora. Like there's yeah. I mean, there is an audience for that and no discredit to them. But I was always I feel like I treated whine about it as sort of a TV show. It was, we put it out at the same time every week and it wasn't like, you know, in between I was saying, hey, here's what I, you know, I'm doing this week or here's what I, here's where I shopped or here's what I'm eating. It's it's more like I, I treated it like it was its own kind of mini TV show. But, you know, this media, it's like when I think of what you were doing with that video series and other internet celebrities of today, it is inherently so much more personal and intimate of a connection than like watching Angelina Jolie and Mr. and Mrs. Smith. It's just different. Oh like, yeah. Do for you sure. like do you have fans who just feel like they know you based on watching you on the internet? Because it's a different kind of connection, right? Yeah, totally. And I love that. I mean, on on this tour that I'm on, it's twenty seven cities. Uh right now while we're talking, I've already been to like 19 of them, I think. Wow. And uh, because everybody gets a book with their ticket, I, I stay after and, and take pictures with everybody. And, Do you sign uh, the books too? I, I sign the books okay. beforehand. So oh. they're not, it's not, I, there's too many people to be able to. to <laughs> You're just too popular. Crowds and crowds of uh, ravenous people. I can't possibly. <laughs> um, actually, at my last show in Seattle, so, someone got a little out of control and bit a security guard. Stop so, it. <laughs> when I say ravenous, <laughs> literally. I'm only half joking. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I it's it's really great. I people always ask like, do you just hate meeting all of these people? Uh and A, I'm not going to be like, yes, I hate all of you. <laughs> uh but B, that's not true. I actually I I really enjoy meeting everybody when they're not, you know, biting security guards yeah. and uh yeah, every, because every interaction does feel very real. It doesn't feel like there is this like deep chasm between mm. me and the people who are who are watching me. Uh, that will change. That will change. I'll become a, a monster, but for now. <laughs> 
All right, uh, drink the rest of that wine. That bottle is yours, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed our chat a lot. Thank you so much. Yeah, I had so much fun. All right, take care. Bye. Matt Bellasai, wasn't it fun? I told you it was going to be fun. Go get his new book. Go enjoy it with a glass of wine. The book is called Everything is Awful. Matt, thank you for the good chat. And listeners, a quick reminder, share the best thing that happened to you all week, no matter how small, no matter how big. Share it with me. Record your own voice and send the file to samsanders at npr.org. We play those files, we play the audio at the end of our Friday wraps. And seriously, no victory is too small or too weird. Email me, seriously, samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. All right, back in your feed with that Friday episode. Until then, thank you for listening. Talk soon.